Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Mangum Reads. I've done an intro to the prior two novellas, so I'm not going to do one for the third, but we're going into the third novella of the Dunkin' Egg series, The Mystery Night. As per usual, I'm Spencer and joining me are BJ and Sarah. How are y'all doing? You daxed my expectation. Oh god. I was doing better until four and a half seconds ago, Spencer. <laughs> the pain you inflict on us, BJ. <laughs> I'm just dunking all over you guys. It's fine. Oh, stop it now. You, get, get out of your, you got one more. Do you have one more you can get out of your system right now? Yes, but I'm not going to use it now. <laughs> you, of course you wouldn't. As said, we're doing the third book of the Dunkin' Egg series of novellas by George R. R. Martin, The Mystery Knight, all released as part of the Knight of the Seven Kingdoms trilogy. Uh, before we get into the meat of our third exploration of the journeys of Dunkin' Egg and through the world of Westeros, we have some intro segments. Sarah, where do you want to start off? I would like to start off with my cocktail, which is a weird one this week, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, It is a take on a drink. um, Well, it actually, it it is exactly the drink, um, but it's not exactly appropriate for this particular story. It is a three-eyed raven. Mm. That's appropriate for the overall series, I'd say. Yes. Particularly given who was one of the major characters in this novella. Indeed. Um, I might call it a blood raven instead. Um, or the Thousand Eye and One Raven. Hmm. Um, but it is it is a, a very odd little cocktail. So I have, um, it's supposed to be made with overproof bourbon. I have some rye whiskey for reasons that you might understand, BJ. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm using that instead. But it's equal parts um, bourbon or whiskey and dark beer. I have a, um, a sort of local Christmas beer that I am using. And then hmm. it also has an egg white in it, um, which I thought was also quite appropriate for this particular series of stories. And um, I am using, they have, the, the recipe itself has you using a citrus olive oil. I didn't have that to hand, so I just kind of decided that I was going to use some triple sec and um, take the syrup out of it. But then it also has coffee bitters in it and a hint of salt, and that is all shaken. Um, and I am serving it in a dragon claw glass which is also making me very happy. Um, but it's an interesting drink because it is, um, it's very potent, but it is a, like a little bittery breakfasty and the orange kind of brightens everything up. So I'm, I'm digging it. Interesting. We are definitely going to need to get you to publish a book of all these drinks at some point. It just sounds like a pleasant series to go through. Thank you for saying that, though, Spencer, because I have for the past several weeks been meaning to give a shout out, BJ, to your girlfriend, Bree. Uh, who gave me the best Christmas present I think I have ever gotten, um, which was a bound copy of not only all of the cocktails that I had made up to that point um, and the recipes for them, but um, whatever the hell I had said about reviews for them, which was <laughs> a little uncomfortable to have all gathered in one place. But <laughs> it was really, really cool, and it's on my bar now, and I'm, I, I am just delighted by it all the time. That was an incredible gift. It was a lot of fun, but it was also very funny because I would get very random texts of just, why why are you just talking about the drink 30 minutes in? Like, isn't that an intro <laughs> segment? Like, what are you guys doing? We've gotten better about it. Um, <laughs> After I got the, a lot of complaints. Yeah. <laughs> Subtly speeding it along. Yeah, so, uh, no, very, very cool. Well, we'll definitely... If Bree's willing to prepare an addendum for it so we can keep it keep it ongoing, that'd be lovely. But yes. entirely up to her. Um, so your other segment, um, the the salt beef of of the book world. <laughs> um, we have some salty salt beef this week. Um, 
So outrageous one-star reviews. I actually, I have a couple of different directions I can go with these reviews today, and I don't want to do all of them because that would be a little excessive. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> there are enough this time as opposed to normal. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, there's a little more content to be working with here than on some of our previous episodes. Um, this is a mainstream release. This was bound and published. <laughs> there's more people that read it. Yeah. Um, so I have, I went to Goodreads uh, for these, and I have, I, I figure I can either do, I have one long one, or I have two short ones. Which way would you like to go with this? Which set amuse you the most? Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on the long one, it depends on the short ones, because I could see some great short ones, or if the long one is like a little bit of a crazy fan fiction, that could just be over the top and great. <laughs> Um, the, ooh, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm rediscovering this as we go. Um, let, let me start with the long one. Um, there, there's a lot of complaining about nipples in the long one. <laughs> We've got to go with that. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to do all of it because I, um, I screenshot these on my phone when I find them and <laughs> the long one is literally, uh, four screenshots worth. Um, so... That person had things to say. Yeah, and this was like actually a one-star review. I think my others were were kind of two-star reviews that were just, that were kind of like, they were they, they were talking more generally about sort of Martin's weakness as weaknesses as a writer and kind of some other issues that they had. And like, were very salient to, I think, some things that we might talk about a little bit later. Um, but this one is, we have a treatise. Here is really what's going on. Um, so let me let me start it, and I will I will stop at some point, and we can decide if you have had enough or if you need more of it. How's that? Sounds good. Got a plan. Um, so this is from a user named Lanes, maybe Lanus. It doesn't matter. Imagine being a kid again, impatiently waiting for your birthday. Then, when the day finally comes around, you wake up to realize that someone has swapped all your gifts, and you're literally left with a box full of shit. That's how I'm feeling right now. Okay, maybe that's a tad bit overdramatic, but I've been hyped for these novellas for a long time. I am very interested, invested in um, into the world of Ice and Fire and learning about the history of Westeros and all that shit paved the way for the mess we're currently in is totally my, I don't know what that sentence says. Um, so this should have worked. <laughs> However, good old George decided to bless me with sentences like this. Across her small breasts was a faint spray of freckles and her nipples were red and hard as little berries this is one of the sentences that she that the, well that this person takes it uh issue with the next book one book two um, that's not even like the top 10 of, of <laughs> i know sexual descriptions and fantasy. that line and sworn sword pissed him off okay his bladder had been full to bursting the piss went on and on that one's in this one yeah. yes it is bit of an overshare huh George's fascination. I why, why did they just call him George? Um, George's fascination with nipples and body fluids is something that I will never understand. But I am not one to kink shame. Winky face. Just overall, <laughs> <laughs> these novellas irritated the shit out of me. I loved Egg with all of my heart. Uh, remember that because we're going to come back to Egg later in this in this review. And hated Dunk with a passion. Egg was awesome since he provided all the comic relief in the story, was overall just adorable and pure, and his loyalty had me shook. Honestly, I would read the shit out of a series with him as a point of view character. He was clever, witty, and the one who kept me invested in the series. 
Uh, Dunk, however, just p pissed me off. His character seemed what I imagined that one dude from Guardians of the Galaxy to be, a bit of a teddy bear type of character who is awkward around women, but then super strong and somewhat clumsy and weird, but saves the day. And ugh, I just hated him, to be honest. He's especially his interactions. Huh? He's just thick as a castle wall. Yeah. Um, especially his interactions with all of the female characters and his awkward fi fixation on their bodies just made me high key uncomfortable, especially their nipples, but we covered that already. <laughs> It's like one offline, really. Um, yeah. So that those were two of the screenshots. I can go on at that point, but it, the, it, we we just have a lot to say here. Well, let's focus on one key thing you pointed out there. Mm -hmm. That he wants the idea of Egg being a point of view character. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I can't see. imagine that working at all. No, uh, that sounds I, awful. I mean, that I wait. Wasn't Joffrey a point of view character? Yes. No, never was. I thought he was. No, not no, jo Joffrey is never a point of view character in the in the books. Huh. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, for Egg to be a point of view character would just require a complete rewriting of the text, and I just don't think it'd be as entertaining or work. I don't think he'd be. Very, I think he's a lot more interesting being a kind of enigmatic, supporting, loyal character than he would be if he was actually controlling the flow of things. It also would make Dunk e absolutely unbearable if he wasn't the point of view character. Oh yeah! Imagine just like having none of the interiority that we that we get. It would be insane. I am also just not a fan, except when it's done really, really well. And I I don't think that that would have happened here. Um, I am not a fan of being in the head of precocious child characters. Uh, very rarely works for me. Mm -hmm. um, Is there an end game to this? Sorry, I'm just distracting the door. Front door opened. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, precocious children are just, they're, they're sometimes okay characters, but usually not, even then. I mean, even as just, like, non-point-of-view characters, I, yeah. I find that they can, like, I feel like a lot of authors just load all kinds of well, there, there is knowledge a, into them. I feel like there there's a somewhat precocious young character book that... I mean, it's not quite point of view, but we could read some time for 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 the series, Bridge to Terabithia. You just, <laughs> you've referenced it too much. You're diluting its its horror to me. <laughs> but I, I, I fully agree. Where it, it's hard enough to write a kid, but then writing a kid that kind of straddles the line between child and adult, very few authors pull that off in a convincing manner. Most of the time, it comes across as either an adult that's stuffed into into a child form. Or just is not believable as a difference of addiction of a child, period. And that can just Brand. break your book if that's what you're building it around. Bran... I mean, we've <laughs> seen George R. Martin do a lot of child characters, and they're a mixed bag. Some work. I don't really? think we really... What? Who works? Who works? Yeah. I think Arya's plot works pretty well. Okay. Bran think... is a... Hmm? I was going to say she's probably the one I was most invested in, but... Okay. Uh... <laughs> But I don't think he really has one like Egg in terms of character that is definitely wise beyond his years, is remarkably capable in his own ways, but is still a very much immature child. And mm -hmm. I think that can work with someone else analyzing that and trying to piece it together and understand it a lot better than trying to see through their eyes. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I mean, I feel like, as you sort of mentioned, Dunk would take over a very different uh, character if we don't have his point of view. He, and while... He, he might get a little bit of the penny tree treatment where it is sort of kind still, but I don't know that 
Egg would have sort of the similar, like, looking up to Dunk and, and things like that, given yeah. his upbringing. Mm-hmm. Now, if we made, if we, if we switched the roles, this series would be Don Quixote. That's very much what it would become. Uh, Dunk would become a almost, I mean, you could, I could see him becoming a much more foppish comic satire I, of a character. I was wondering if yeah. you're going, like, he's Sancho Panza at some point. No. Just <laughs> Egg is. Yeah. Um... So Especially yeah, I'm not with, with him there. In he terms of other points, yeah, on the mule he does have a very sort of Sancho Panza, and so does the mule. This <laughs> is so the mule, which I love. Um, as for the comment on nipples, uh, I think that's a good over- <laughs> just, just, just to address it. That. <laughs> Do you have a pointed I mean, remark here, Spencer? We've got we've got one dream, and then we've got a reference here of the 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 betting ceremony for the oh, bride. God, that and was super weird with the dwarves yeah, and oh. with, with the with the dwarf jumping in the middle of the air. It's a horrible ceremony yeah. that it's all rife throughout the series. But other than that, Dunk does not interact with that many female characters. I mean, he basically interacts with none other than the bride very briefly in this one. And then Lady Rohan in the in the, in the uh, second book, and then Tanzel Tutal in the first, where she factors in for a relatively minor portion of the text with how important she later becomes to him. Yeah, but there, uh, is, there is no. I mean, this story among all of them, there just are the not rest. female characters. No, she. There is literally. I mean, there is there is an innkeeper, and then there is the bride, and I don't think there's any other one that he's interacted with at all. That is not the subject of this story. Mm-hmm. Nope. All yeah. right. But this is where we are with our with our reviews. Well, give give us one. Given we, we we cut that one in half, give us one of the short ones too, just to wrap it up. Um. Okay. No. So. Or both, if you have, if, if both have to go. No, let me just let me just give you this one because I think that we are going to um, talk a little. We are probably at some point going to talk about Martin's writing itself in this. Um, mm-hmm. So here is a two star review from Rob Bachman. Um, saying all of Martin's weaknesses, lists of opaque names, heraldic symbols, and blank characters without any of his strengths, some fun daring do, but the only context it provides for his larger works is some clarified relationships between leashes. Um, between leashes? Leashes. Leashes. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. The G in there. Yes. Okay. So um, I think a lot of the sort of worse reviews for this were really uh, focused on the language itself um, and the writing itself and or the fact that they didn't like any of the characters. Well, what's... Um, what, par for most of Martin's work, I guess. <laughs> what Do you guys have any strong opinions when it comes to the writing? Because it's something, BJ, you in particular have discussed before is that you've been even more put off over time about Martin because of, you don't like his writing. Yeah, I, I feel like it's... It doesn't have any of the <laughs> good qualities that I don't like about Tolkien. <laughs> and the good qualities I don't like about Tolkien. Let's okay, that a little bit, BJ. So, so he he talks a lot and doesn't describe things. And I just like I don't even know where all the words are going because I don't feel like I have a good idea of the world or the scenes or pretty much anything. But a lot of words are on the page. That's Martin. Right. Whereas Tolkien, like, everything's super descriptive, and I know the length, color, and breeding practices of every tree that he describes, but but I don't it's care. The, it's the party tree. You need to know every single party that happened over the last 130 years to truly understand the tree. 
Well, but that's just the leaves. Like, and then the next five pages is about the bark and the the uh, branching and gnarled trunk, and they're just it's very evocative and descriptive. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that that is and could be a plus. It's just it wasn't something that I enjoyed when I first tried to read it, and I mean, something that I should go back to. I've heard it joked before that with Martin and Tolkien, you can tell from the amount of description they provide what things in life they love the most. That Tolkien loves the English countryside and will describe it in any way he can, in any by any analogy that he can. Martin loves food, and that's just what the level of emphasis about the description is provided I, to by comparison. I disagree. Well, I don't know. I like food, and I disagree about Martin's <laughs> descriptions, I guess. They're not great, but they're I, extensive by comparison. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he spends more time, like, describing, like, bits of armor and heraldry and things like that. And, like, I barely have an idea of what um, the One-Eyed Raven looks like. Whereas I, I, if I could remember, probably could, you know, describe a, a little bit about everybody's heraldic symbols because that's what I feel like he spends time on rather than the characters. Or especially, like, uh, especially in this novella. Yeah. We are deep in the... Deep in the both the heraldic symbols as well as the who did what to whom when and who was right. on what side when and it is it's a lot to take in guys I'm not gonna lie. But, and it's interesting too because it's almost like it's a key part of unlocking the mystery to understand the symbols. It's almost like if you've got an it's almost like he's viewing it that if you have enough foreknowledge going in you can understand the plot and where it's going before characters do. Yeah, and it, it's like I don't. He was writing a history novel or, or like historical fiction with an unreliable narrator and it's kind yeah. of like well that's no like you can either have an unreliable narrator and have an interesting story or you can write historical fiction but you should not be doing both well it's yeah, not un, it's not an unreliable narrator it's an ignorant narrator yes. there is a distinction and so i felt like i felt like reading this again i was like okay so this is all like information that i don't really know because I don't necessarily care. Um, but then I am hobbled by the perspective from which I am being given this nation. Yeah. It's so like, there well, is there is now there's... a less than three and a half percent chance that I'm going to learn <laughs> this information. Right. And it's like, well, there are a couple of towers over this. And so that's one of these people. And it's like, no, no, no. The, the phrase have two towers over, you know, uh, a field of undine with a river that's three towers and that's somebody completely different it's like okay now what (laughs) it's another example of why i really think egg's perspective would not work because i almost think it's intentional to 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 give us give it through the perspective of dunk because in some ways we're responding to this deluge information the same way he does just feeling entirely overwhelmed having it going in one area out the other just happy we've got egg there to remind us whenever it comes up it would be we were the... really annoying to be in the Rolodex of Egg's head. Oh, yeah, because we would have to recount that in greater detail as he's going through it in his own head before he conveys it to Dunk. Because clearly, he knows enough when he's providing it to Dunk to dilute it. And even that's a lot. He's also we just reading it... the charts, the, 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 like, the heraldic symbol charts for fun at one point. You're like, you're a little, little proto-Hermione, aren't you? <laughs> he is. He is. I feel like but... we have a sympathetic character here, Spencer. <laughs> Um, 
As for the characters themselves, I'm not really with them on that. I mean, I can definitely respond to some of the criticisms of the writing. It mm-hmm. gets repetitive at times about how he goes about describing things. But the characters I'm pretty invested in. I think at least the ones that he actually, the writer wants us to care about and focus on are well told and developing. As you, I think you said, BJ, that there's not really much character arc, but there isn't really supposed to be. It's the two main characters that are meant to be the focus about everything. And most of everything else is just the settings they're going through on their episodic journey. Yeah, I... I... I agree, but I still think that it would have been nice to have Dunk and maybe Egg undergo some sort of character development, and... I think we do, for Dunk, actually, over the course of these three. Right, okay, yes, over the course of these three, but then it's like, it's not really a novella if you have to read all three (laughs) one after the other. The only way they've they've actually been published is as a three-set. I know, but we've read them and talked about them individually. Well, that was our mistake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I do think, I, I don't, I'd have to think about, uh, and maybe we can talk about sort of character development over all of this. I think there, there is some certainly over the, the three of them. But I do think we get some interesting little side characters in this novella. Although well, we never focus on anyone as much as we do in the other two. That's because Dunk is drunk for a lot of this one and can't call them very well. And then he has some CTE. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's one of the ways that I almost think this book more clearly demonstrates than the other ones the character development that Dunk has been through. Because he sees several characters that represent where he was around book one. That's true. Mm-hmm. And is able to provide in some ways an aged wisdom to them from his prior experience that he never would have been capable of in book one, probably not in book two. Yeah. And and we do have the character development that he was measured how tall he was in book two, and that's, <laughs> that's very true. important. We've got that, yes. We also have, we also have a, a form of plot character development in terms of how much more comfortable we see our characters getting involved in politics and understanding it to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. That's more of, that's less, less, I'd say, character development, more just accumulated character knowledge, which isn't quite mm-hmm. the same thing. But this one feels so much... The second book had very little to connect to the first. Um, it was in a very different setting and had a very different focus. This third book feels in some ways like it is a, sequ- a direct sequel to both the first and the second in different ways. Tying them together oh. and then tying them into, well, the rest of the series, basically. Right. And so it shows, it's not really necessarily character development, it shows plot development and plot resolution in the way the first two didn't really do. It's, I, I agree it's not overall resolving the plot, but it's kind of resolving a lot of the threads that we had going from the first two, or at least addressing the fallout from them. That's true. And, you know, this is probably Martin's, like, first time tying up loose threads, so we can give him a little leeway. <laughs> He's learning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one because it's kind of true. Um, <laughs> <keep> <laughs> um, but do we, do we want to get into some of the plot itself? Or do we, how do we want to structure this? I mean, we can go through a full plot recap, but this is a long novella. It's a solid, I think, 100, like 140, 150 pages. Um, the audiobook of this was four and a half hours but as I listened to it. Wow. Now, I forgot to read this until today, so... You've had a it day. Is fresh. <laughs> it's, I, yeah, I it's read it essentially yesterday, So because I... Realized, I was like, wait a minute, this is long. I'm not going to be able to do this in like the hour or whatever before recording. I know, we've gotten really spoiled on short stories recently. 
Well, how, how about we do this just so we can set up a firm time period? We've okay. been in 25, 26 minutes so far. Let's go for an even hour, see where we end up, and if it's a good enough point, we'll divide this up into two episodes and do it that way. Just so we don't have to rush through what is a fair amount of plot that happens over the course of this, and several characters we can talk about. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Well, uh, jumping into the plot, uh, pretty much like both of the last stories, we start in media rest of just dunk on the road. In this case, I think we've made it back up into the Riverlands, which I don't really believe we've been in in the past two in past two novellas. It is only a Tolkien fan that would call wandering on a road in Medias. <laughs> I would, and you know I am, so it's in keeping. It's I'm just real, commenting real that like back to beginning, you've got like this. literally nothing <laughs> is happening other than they're vaguely wandering towards the north to go to the wall. Yeah, and they've what well, there is a head on a spike in like. Uh, is, is there even, is even like half a paragraph before you ha- find the head in the spike? There's drama. There's not really action, but the remains of action. I mean, at least he's not making Egg try and kiss the the dead head. Yeah, well, Dunk's past life. The, it's unpleasant. It's a real, yeah, real hullabaloo. I mean, as we've gotten little tidbits over the last two novellas with, Dunk was raised as an orphan kind of foundling on the streets of King's Landing in the bottom of Flea Bottom, the most poor, worst area possible. And we get a few more direct stories than I think we've had before. We've just, he's vaguely referenced it, but I don't think he's really given us, like, a clear account of things he did. Mm-hmm. Really before this. You remember, Am I wrong there, BJ? Uh, no, I think you're right. I think there are, like, little snippets about, like, issues that he had, but nothing so um, in-depth and graphic as making wow. um, the girls of Fleet Bottom kiss the... Uh, somewhat putrefied heads of uh people that were hung or decapitated well decapitated i guess they, they were decapitated they, at some point yes before they got too gooey yeah so th- just just to set this up they're going through the riverlands they're arriving outside of a city and they find a head on a spike outside the wall which they pretty quickly realize is somebody that they know or at least met briefly mm-hmm. a priest a sworn member of the seven who was preaching a certain degree of treason against the current leadership of the realm, and apparently <laughs> real damn quickly got some repercussions for that. Like, they they saw him, like, a couple days back, and now his head's on a, his head's on a wall outside of the Sony Sept. Yeah. Which just frames, again, the kind of nonstop police state terror that, the, that Westeros is in when Bloodraven is the hand of the king and is in using his thousand eyes and one to keep everyone under watch and everyone under thumb. Yeah, but, so, some words are wind, some are treason. Yeah, and they get into a certain degree of debate about what, whether it was appropriate for this man to die for what he was saying, which he was basically, this priest was basically outright calling for revolution. He wanted people to rise up against the kings, which even in our modern understanding of free speech is a crime that would have you put in prison. But Mate, this guy paid with what? his life. What? You can't, you, there's, there's no free speech right to, to preach insurrection. You, that, that, that is not, you do not have a free speech right to do that. You should rise up again. <laughs> Sorry, you can't. Supreme Court's established. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the Supreme Court is established, you can't rise up against tyranny either. Sorry, that one's also banned too. <laughs> real heck of a system we've got going on here. But we get, we get a bit of exploration of Dunk's past, where, as BJ said, they apparently would steal heads off walls and use them to chase girls with, because that's what people do growing up, apparently, in Westeros. Boys will be boys. And, yeah, and they'd make them yeah. kiss the severed head, and when that stopped being fun because too much of the skin was sloughing off, they threw it into a soup pot so their neighbors would eat it. 
So, yeah, uh, yeah Sarah, I, I believe you were saying. <laughs> yeah, I, we got some weird, real Shakespearean vibes going on here, but sure. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I think this is very much storytelling. Like, I, I cannot imagine, like, super poor, hungry urchins, like, destroying a large pot of soup with foul meat because that's oh, just, did? like, life-ending <laughs> for enough people. Well, maybe not uh, life-ending, but... well. From what we've heard before about the pots of brown and the bottom of flea bottom, uh, they yeah. totally didn't destroy it. They just kept cooking. Yeah, just it's, a little bit more just flavor. Protein, yeah. It's like yeah. fish sauce. It's fine. It's already a little off. It's just a little um, bit fermented. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically the skin had already sloughed off. They were just adding marrow to the soup. It's collagen. It's good for your skin. So, um, and so we get a little bit about like how long the head's been up there by how far the crows have gotten into it. And mm -hmm. and um, it's pink and not green. Yes. Yeah. These guys know their heads. Um, <laughs> Excellent forensic scientists we have here. <laughs> it, this is really the prequel to <laughs> CSI Westeros. To... <laughs> oh uh, God. Well, essentially, they're kind. They're as we said, they're going north. Where the last book ended is that they're going to go up to the wall because it's there, and they're going to see it. And there's some vague talk down the line that they might get a job working for the Starks because the Greyjoys have been getting uppity the way the Greyjoys do, and uh, they need to put that down. But on their way north, they're kind of aiming to stop at an inn that Dunk vaguely knows because mm -hmm. uh, he stopped there with Arwen and Penny Tree. And upon getting there, they start to realize that once again, there is a tournament happening near them. And once again, it means they can't stay at the inn or get quality food or get anyone to help them. Because damn princelings and everything else interfere with them. Wasn't but, this after they, like, hide on the yeah. side of the road? Yep, that's about what I was about to reference. Okay. Is that before they get there, though, they get interfered <laughs> with by some of these lordlings. Yeah, which is, like, a very... Maybe it's sensible. Like, they hear, like, some people coming up on the road, and they sort of get Jump off the road. Bushes. And, yeah, and hide in the bushes, which kind of seems a little bit weird. But they also, like, clearly were not good at hiding. No, they right. were seen real damn quick. I mean, Dunk is just shy of seven feet, so... <laughs> He's also in full armor, too, it seems, as well. And they have three animals. Like, three large yeah. animals, so... I don't know what's supposed to be going on here. And what? Egg's hat is a little bit of a giveaway peeping up over the bushes, I would imagine. For, for me, it'd be the mule hat that would just give it all away. <laughs> sure, yeah. with the ears poking out. <laughs> I, yeah, I want that hat. Um, but, I mean, at least half the party successfully rides by just because they're just drag racing on horses as they go past. But we get our first meet of Lord Peak, who we quickly deduce is going to be the dick of this story. One of them. What? We've got options, yes. Sure. But he, he's competing for the title. Yeah, and he is just, like, immediately an asshole to Dunk. Yeah, he tries to take every pain possible to attack Dunk's profession, to attack that he's not really a knight or whatever he stands for. And he's continuing to just... Again, they're going somewhere, but he's felt the need to stop and just castigate this random guy on the side of the road. Maybe partly because Dunk decides to walk out just kind of holding his sword at ready, or at least his hand on the scabbard as he approaches. Yep. Um, what, BJ, you said something there? I, I said right, and it did remind, like, I went into a little bit of a Spencer hole looking up, uh, loosening a sword in a scabbard. You did. To see how much what? that was a thing, and found out, like, the difference between a sheath and a scabbard, and I didn't really get very far um, in terms of whether loosening a sword in a scabbard to draw it was, like, a thing. 
Um, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a thing if like you're about to draw the sword, um, depending on the sword that you're going to draw. And I also found a number of DIY guides onto how to loosen or tighten your sheath to better keep your sword in it or to loosen it for a better draw. I, Boy, howdy. It, it was a Spencer hole. <laughs> Again, I advise everyone, do not get into a Wikipedia spiral. Learn from us. Nothing good can result of it. You will have knowledge that will have no value whatsoever going forward. <laughs> Other than maybe understanding a Duncan, the actions of Dunk a little bit better. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I had hopes. That anyway, ain't it. <laughs> while Peak is being a dick for seemingly no reason other than that he hates heads knights, uh, the two guy, the two young lordlings that were drag racing return. One of whom is also a dick in a different way, and one of whom is John the Fiddler. He's really who, nice to Dunk. Who immediately takes a shine to Dunk? It seems. <laughs> yeah. Um... Very, very nice to him. I, I think that it is really hilarious in this, just from Dunk's point of view, how much he is bumbling about how to figure out who these people are. Yeah, he's really caught off guard and is not quickly adjusting to all of these people suddenly talking to him. Not a, not a, a sort of... It's uh, not quick on his feet. Quick problem solver in the world. No. Uh, just to ask, do you think Dunk at any point realizes that John the Fiddler is pretty aggressively hitting on him throughout the course of this novella? No. I don't think he has the slightest inkling at all and is just increasingly confused by what this guy is continuing to say to him. Yeah, I and I, he... I can't I can't figure out if, like, spoiler, we're going to talk about Dunk getting pretty drunk later in this, <laughs> in this story. I can't figure out if he gets more likely or less likely to realize that he's being aggressively hit on having more drinks or fewer. I'm not sure, but there's like several times he's really trying to get away from John the Fiddler over the course of their conversations, which maybe suggests in the back of his mind he's really uncomfortable, but just doesn't know why. I mean, it, it, Martin might be leaving out like uncomfortable touching that's going on and, and stuff like that, because I could totally see that just being something that's better understood. But also, uh, Dunk doesn't understand flirting, like the widow of Hightower. That's true, yeah. Like... Flirted Widow. with him, flirted with him, and then like grabbed him by the ears and kissed him, and he's like, "Oh, Never saw I guess." That coming. <laughs> oh, that's what this was. I don't think he even realized afterwards that's what that was. <laughs> oh no! He at the end he kissed her. There was a certain point that he was, you know, taking an active role finally in that. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, but for this, I mean, also, this is Martin. He's totally going to describe the fondling, and he does as, while they're talking, John the Fiddler just starts vaguely start caressing his muscles throughout their conversation. So that's happening, too. Not now, later when they're drunk, just to make it all the more weird. Um, right now, at least, we've got John the Fiddler and I think Alan Cockshaw, interesting name. Um, what, Alan Cockshaw is, again, kind of continuing Peak's just bashing of a hedge knight to the point that Fiddler... Being very polite makes his companion apologize, kinda. <laughs> and they mo mostly inquires with whether Dunk is going to be going to the tournament. And kinda wants him to ride with him and compete with him and totally hang out as much as possible and maybe watch Netflix. And it's like, Peek, why are be a good wingman? What is this shit? <laughs> Peek's not helping. Peek is not eager to help with this. He is not a bro with, with respect to this. Um, and eventually, Dunk himself is the one that kind of stops the conversation, just feeling 
awkward and put out that he wouldn't fit in with this group and would kind of always be a standout object of mockery, as he's kind of already been interacting with them. And so they ride on, with Fiddler, of course, saying, I hope I see you again, I would love to use my lance on you. Which is the first of what's going to be several double entendres that Fiddler engages in whenever he interacts with Dunk. Which he just goes full tilt. <laughs> well said. If he knew Dunk better, he would know that double entendres have no value whatsoever on this man. He is never going to understand. <laughs> he doesn't understand <laughs> single entendres. The doubles are just completely out. <laughs> But they continue along the road, they go to the inn, and as said, the nobles have fully filled the inn, or booked enough of her resources that she's afraid about sparing any for any individuals who aren't staying the night with her. And they also totally can't make the ferry across the god's eye, because again, nobles have booked it up, and it won't, the next one won't be leaving until probably mid... Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, it was also weird, it was just like, what's cooking? And it's just like, let me give you a, a rundown of the menu... Yeah, but your shit had a lock. But you can't have any of it. Yeah, there was. I mean, it's interesting. To the point that the conversation failed for him was the moment he suggested, "Well, can we stay in the stables?" And at least in his mind, that's where everything went wrong. And if that's true, that's interesting. But if that's not true, as you say, she just felt the need to advertise her store and then say, "And now you can leave." Yep. Oh, and I also wanted to to voice a complaint, but I meant to uh, check the veracity of this that. I feel like he shouldn't be spurring his horse, um, like, all the time to get the horse going. That just doesn't seem like a good way to do it. Good way to get, like, holes in your horse if you're spurring it all the time. And so, like, presumably that's what you want to do when you want it to, like, charge something that it clearly doesn't want to do. But if you're just, like, wandering down the road. No, you're using, otherwise, I mean, this may just be an example that Dunk does not know how to ride a horse. (laughs) That's true. You would just be using a leg pressure. You would not in any way need to get that extra degree of pain to get it going. Right. Which is... It also might be a little bit of a measure of just, like, how old this horse actually is. It needs the encouragement to keep moving. He keeps trying to explain it away as, like, still a good horse, which it it is, clearly. Like, this horse horse is is fine, but it's it's clearly a a little past past its prime. Yeah. Which is interesting, too, because it may give us a certain suggestion of the passage of time. Because we go back to, like, book one, there's no description of Thunder as being anything other than pretty much effective prime of life. Where by this point, well, in the second book, we have one of his horses die. It was his main horse in the first book. And now by the third book, we have Thunder being described as perfectly effectual. But, (laughs) from everybody else's point of view, getting increasingly towards the glue factory. Yes. Well, I mean, some of that is going to be... Like there's going to be a very diff- big difference between a war horse and a charger and like a serviceable horse to get a round up. Yes. Right. And he's also interacting almost entirely with higher lords now, which he wasn't in the second book. Right. So they're also maintaining a certain degree of elitism view on the subject too. Especially because they're all going to not only this tournament, but they're they're going to a wedding as well. Yes. So we've got a lot of like peacocking going on here. <laughs> they are here to show off. But, uh, barred from the end, Dunk is going to go to a collection of people that have no intention of showing off. Our first real exposure to other hedge knights since Brown Ben Bettis in the second book. Mm-hmm. And who is our collection of hedge knights that we have? I think we've got three of them here to start. Who are, are kind of three other main characters for this book, I guess. Yeah, and they are a real, a real motley crew. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, got, we've got Kyle the Cat who is a kind of veteran old campaigner who is sort of trying to plan out what his retirement is going to be associated with this tournament. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we have Sir Maynard Blum. Who is enigmatic at best, and intentionally so. Uh, one of the sour plums. Yeah. Related to Viserys, <laughs> which I think is interesting, because that name kind of rings a bell. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's interesting that Egg immediately goes, I know your family. That's interesting. <laughs> um, and the you know, plum just kind of plays it off as that, hey, I'm a lesser branch, whatever else. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing relatively tattered clones, clothes, except for a surprisingly vibrant jeweled brooch, which seems out of, out of place on a hedge knight that he's wearing to pin everything together. Yep. It's also interesting how much of a description of everybody's clothes we always get and how boring they almost always are. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the same clothes as they realistically would be. Yeah, a lot of homespun. <laughs> yes. And our our final one, who kind of sort of is like the hero of this novella, or yeah. at least has the most of a protagonist journey, is uh, Glendon, well, what should we call his last name? We've got three options for this guy's last name over the course of this. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Great balls of fire. Um, yeah, so... Apparently, sadly, Fireball was part of this universe, too. <laughs> you can't escape. <laughs> I can't at all. Apparently, it's lords of lords and positions of power, even. if By, by Glendon's own account, he is Glendon Ball, the uh, son of Fireball, one of the lords of the Blackfire Rebellion, who served on the side of the Blacks in a very memorable capacity that everyone still talks about. But he's also obviously a bastard which means he should be officially either Glendon Flowers or, as people mockingly call him over the course of the story, Glendon of the Pussy Willows, the mm-hmm. name of the brothel he grew up in. Or in, by his account. Yeah, um, and he's a he's a prickly fellow. Yeah, he is... He is uh, I think it was he kind of, as I suggested earlier, he's a version of Dunk from a while in the past. Yeah, and Dunk... I don't think necessarily in this meeting, but in other conversations that they have, Dunk really himself kind of identifies with with Glendon Ball. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and really kind of sees those separate paths. mm Mm-hmm. That he... From what we can tell, he gained his training as a knight from a drunk squire that happened to be hanging around. And then he actually gained his knighthood Probably on somewhat more legitimate terms than Dunk, but still not great, in the sense that his sister sold her maidenhead to buy it from a knight that came by. Which is not a story you want to pass down to later generations, necessarily, but it's how he got his start. And he's attending to go to this tournament to earn his name for himself. He intends to take the dragon's egg that they're now offering at this tournament, which gives Dunk a bit of a shock to find out that that's the prize. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I would say about, um, the, the son of Fireball is that he's a little bit more, um, angry than Dunk is. And, and like, I guess you could sort of see that at some point Dunk was an angry youth, but he was, he's sort of more of the, um, Eeyore kind of dude, it seems, rather than Hothead. From, from Dunk's perspective, he sees himself as a child, as being a very angry child. As a child that was inevitably going to end up just hanging at the end of a rope. And that it was Arlen Penetry who set him on a different path. Mm. Doesn't seem like Glenn Flowers ever had that same kind of mentor. To... You think angry? Because I, I, I guess I never got angry. I think he always thought that he would end up at the end of a rope because like, he would be stealing or hungry or whatever and en- end up in a bad crowd. Um, maybe the crowd that was forcing young girls to kiss heads, but like not in, in an angry sort of way, more of like a 
an enforcer for a gang or whatever. How about polished out his his various sins and negative character traits into something more positive? Yeah, sure. Okay. Glendon Flowers has not had a chance to go through that process yet. In fact, he kind of sort of goes through it over the course of this book a lot from Dunk. Mm-hmm. But they... I mean, what do we really want to say about this? They kind of have a little bit of a hedge night feast. We deal with the fact that Glendon Flowers is incredibly prickly and is really stealing for a fight and is constantly looking for people to be insulting his heritage because that's probably been most of his background experience. Yep. And in the morning, we go to we start to go make, start to make our way to the tournament. I have a quick newbies notes question. Okay. How common are dragons' eggs? Uh. Based on Dunk's reaction, it's supposed to be really damn uncommon, except among the Targaryens. Okay. It I mean, just, there seemed to be like a handful around, even in these descriptions, and it seems like in the later books there were three, and somehow some barn dude had all of them. Well, do you, I mean, I can tell you, if you want to know, because Egg himself plays a very integral role in basically eliminating all of the Targaryen dragon eggs. Interesting. Once he, oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, do you guys want to know that, or you want to find? I mean, it, it find may out later how. Be, it, if they make like twenty more of the novellas, we'll get there when he's king. Why don't you just tell us, Spencer? Uh, Egg becomes the great reformer, or at least tries to be, based on his experiences touring the Westeros with Dunk. He tries to greatly increase the rights and protections and liberties of the common people, and it fails for a variety of reasons mostly actually his children defying him rather than going along with the marriage alliances he's tried to negotiate and an increasing desperation to try to find a means of bringing about his grand dreams for reforms some of which are still in place some of which are working but many of which are increasingly almost starting to push us to civil war he decides in a desperate gamble to bring back dragons as a means to try to enforce his will upon Westeros, to bring about the future that he thinks, by the only means he thinks is possible anymore. And so he brings in mystics from the East, he brings in all kinds of magic practitioners he can find around the world, he takes almost the entire remaining clutch of dragon eggs the Targaryens have, and he goes to Summerhall, his father's palace as we hear here, and something occurs. Some magical ritual goes horrendously awry and Summerhall burns. And the bulk of the Targaryen family, including apparently Egg, Dunk, all of their children, all of their wives, die. And all the dragon eggs go up with them. And Rhaegar Targaryen, who plays an integral role in the background of the main series, famously is born among the smoke and ash of Summerhall. That his mother gives birth on a river outside of it as it's still burning with all their family inside. And that sets the tragedy and the moroseness that kind of guides his character throughout his journey, including what we learned about him in the main series. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a long way, to say, way of explaining that, yeah, at this point, there's actually a fair amount of dragon eggs to the point they can give them to each child in their crib. But that, along with a lot of the grandeur of House Targaryen, ends within the course of the next generation or two. Interesting. But focusing on this tale, <laughs> they, I mean, for pretty much a mirror, they journey on to uh, the city of, I wrote it down because I've never remembered this name. White Walls. Uh, White Walls, yeah. Where Lord Ambrose Butterwell is holding a marriage tournament of where he, his, uh, the daughter of House Frey is marrying him, despite the fact they've got, I think, what, 40 years in age difference between the two of them? Yep. He needs to uh, churn some butter. Uh, as, yeah. as they say. I also, um, BJ, I thought about you in how much it just delighted me. And it's later in the story, but I, and I don't remember who says it, but somebody calls him Butterbutt instead of Butterwell. And I <laughs> lost it's my Blood mind. Raven. <laughs> it, it, it's Bloodraven. 
extraordinary. <laughs> well, a, a couple things come up as they're heading to this tournament is that uh, point number one, Dunks decide he's going to joust, which Egg tries to tell him about six ways to Sunday is a bad Don't idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yep. D- we so, know that Dunks... Yeah, sorry, going to be you. Does Egg recognize anybody in this first group of knights that pass by, do you think? Uh, yes, I think he does, in terms okay. of... He certainly recognizes their banners, and that was kind of the next point I was going to go to, is that, well, A, point number one, he's very concerned about dunk competing, because as we learned about before, if you lose a joust, you lose everything? It's a very well, all-or-nothing system As here. a hedge knight. Like, you, like if you have yeah. money, then you're okay, but if basically all you have is armor and horses, you lose your armor... And maybe you lose your horse. <laughs> and your sword, even, even though you didn't use it. You lose essentially everything you were wearing when you competed. Yeah. Uh, which... um, and you can either ransom it back if you happen to have that those means. <laughs> or um, get a loan. Or get a loan. Yeah. <laughs> or, it's a very complicated or, financial system here. Or you can become part of an interesting transaction that's proposed by the guy that now owns all your shit. Yes. These are the options that are available to you. It's not a great life being a hedge knight. No. But it seems when like you've got a, a remarkable... Really terrible mm-hmm. idea as egg is trying to say like to enter into <laughs> yeah it, it, it's also pretty unnecessary too because from what we hear there's pretty nice rewards for like everything that's going on here there's a lot of different events that are occurring um and it seems like just... early in the list you shouldn't have to like forfeit all your stuff because in like in actuality how many people are going to be as dense as dunk and be like, all right, well, I basically have nothing but the couple of things that I do have that are basically providing for my well-being for the foreseeable future. I'm going to wager on a on a game of skill that I am not skilled at. This is the craziest thing. Dunk is not... He's a terrible jouster. And he knows this. He's... Ugh. We, we have no reason to believe that he's competed in a tournament since Ashford back in book one. Mm-hmm. Um, and though I think he has indeed gotten better, it is a weird thing to see him compete like this. Because if he fails this, what are his options? I mean, he has no means of being a hedge knight anymore. Pretty much what he ponders when he does indeed fail is, I guess I send Egg back to his dad and I go be a guard somewhere. And that's giving up every aspect of every kind of that's giving up his dream entirely. It's giving up every aspect of his character he's looked to build. It seems well, like an unnecessary risk. Yeah, and everything that he knows and his entire identity is, which as evidenced by the fact that he is constantly defending his position as a hedge knight to everyone who cannot possibly oh, yeah. believe that he is a hedge, hedge knight of any sort. Or yeah. a knight of any sort. Yeah. His, his sense of self-worth is wrapped up in his concept of chivalry. And so- if he can't practice it anymore, he's not really dunk anymore. The other thing that might be the, like, I guess I can ascribe here is basically if he can't find service, then you can't really be a hedge knight if you're not going from service to service. Yeah. And he doesn't seem to be really successfully doing it. Yeah. <laughs> we, in terms of his past service, we basically have one example, and that was a very destitute knight who was in the middle of about to start a war in the middle of the reach. It's, it's not a great resume that he's got in terms of his prior guys he's worked for. But as you said, BJ, the other thing that we note here, and it's a lucky thing that Dunk has Egg around to point this out, is that 
Egg recognizes the banners of a lot of these lords that are going to this tournament. And from what he can tell, a surprising number of these guys tended to back Damon Blackfire and the Blacks during the Blast Blackfire Rebellion. And that's interesting. That kind of puts an interesting color to this tournament that uh, a lot of people would normally prefer not to participate in. But Dunk doesn't assign much weight. Doesn't assign much weight to this. From his perspective, the past is the past. They've all been pardoned now. What does it matter? He could well, not be more wrong. Some words are wind. Yeah, other words are treason. But we, I mean, where do we go from here? I'm trying to remember. Um, then I mean, shortly thereafter is the uh, the wedding feast. That's true. Um, where where he's below the salts. He's below the salt, but he's he's still eating well. Ball is not happy to be below the salt, I think, because if somebody is, who's below the salt, it feels like they should. Ball. Glendon, I, mean, Glendon, I mean, it's, it's Glendon Ball is below the salt while John the Fiddler isn't, despite the fact they're both supposed to be hedge knights. Yes. But even Dunk can put two and two together that John the Fiddler does not seem like any hedge knight he's ever seen before. He's dressed remarkably well. He's riding with lords and being remarkably buddy-buddy with them, even seeming to order them around. And, notably here at the feast, he's sitting up at the High Lord's table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is a fiction they're barely putting any effort into maintaining. Yep. Partly because everyone other than Dunk is on the same page here about what this is. Yeah, but uh, Dunk has wandered into this situation. As he does. As Bloodraven Blood kind of hilariously points out at the end there is that, okay, so you guys just kind of wandered into the middle of this and just broke it all open? And Dunk just kind of has to say, well... Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but yes, kind of. Yeah, um, we wandered into the middle of this and accidentally broke it open. Well, they're having a before they have the feast. They have a toast, and most aspects of the toast go over fine until Lord Frey, the father to Walder Frey. If you got, did you guys recognize the little baby is actually uh, baby Walder Frey? Nope. That oh, is I have no idea. That is baby Walder Frey. I'm glad to see, even as a toddler, he is a little shit. He's um, a snot-nosed child. Yes, he is. But uh, when he gives a toast to Bloodraven, we get one of the first reactions to that among the various lords. We've heard a lot of opinions about Bloodraven before, but seeing several people openly in public turn over their glasses to the hand of the king is a clear statement about how a lot of the world, a lot of the world sees this man, particularly yeah. among this collection of former blacks. Yes, um, and the, the first person to... Um... To comment on the turning over the wine is one Maynard Plum. Yeah. Uh, should, when, should we just get, out, just get this theory out there right now that I think we're all in agreement that the theory that Maynard Plum is also Bloodraven is pretty damn supportable from the text? I, mm -hmm. I would say so. I mean, we, for the one thing, we get a, when we first meet the guy, we get a reference of where Kyle the Cat says... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the exact line, but we get several references that hint at the fact that he is actually someone other than he claims. Here we see when Glendon Ball pours over his glass uh, the idea of toasting Bloodraven, he is the one first one that makes a comment that it's a, it seems like it's a waste of good wine. Doesn't he also have one bad eye? Ah, uh, no. But when we see him later, we see one eye stand out. Okay. And he's wearing this brooch that doesn't we had talked fit. about before. Yeah. Well, it doesn't fit, but like sometimes in the shadows it looks like one eye. Yeah, here's the quote. Um, Duncan at one point says, We'd all be bastards of the old Aegon if half these tales were true. And Maynard's the one that chips in, and who's to say we're not? Which, <laughs> given that he totally is a bastard of, right. of the old King Aegon, yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of hints that we get at this. Um, and then but, 
does well presumably his companions kind of know because um one of his companions says born bastard but his royal father made him legitimate as he lay dying so Mm -hmm. you know if they're friends it's interesting to debate how much everyone understands whether maynard who maynard plum is or isn't Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a lot of people are interacting with him, including Kyle the Cat, in a lot of things that Junk walks up in the middle of. Mm-hmm. But we can only debate. Uh, from here, the wedding feast just kind of goes entirely off the rails as Dunk gets increasingly drunk. A lot of dwarves show up with air bladders, and a betting occurs of both the bride and groom. And maybe some of the dwarves. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, Dunk is enlisted to... Um, take the bride up to the to, up to the bedroom where he is increasingly uncomfortable, um, but he does also see the egg at that point, which is he really does. interesting to him. And he goes, "Touchy, touchy, the egg," and they go, "No, no, no, <laughs> little goes, touchy, no, no touchy." <laughs> uh, as we, we, we this is the first time we meet, I think it's like Tom Hedge or something is along the line. That guy's name or Tom or Heddle, Heddle, yeah. Uh, who pretty quickly tells Dunk off and insults him the way pretty much everybody does to Hedge Knights over the course of this, despite they invited them all to the damn feast and commissioned Dunk to carry the bride up into this damn room. Uh, He also makes a bit of an enemy of a dwarf, who may or may not prove a little bit relevant later in the story. Yeah, and the other really funny thing is, if his hands were really greasy, he just carried up the bride. In full gown, too. And what? In full gown, too. Well, not by the end, but... Yeah, part of the way. Um, uh, yeah, so Dunk is j- just wants to get out of that room. Yeah, and he also, re- uh, as we heard in the initial review, really needs to go pee. Yes. <laughs> like, really needs to go pee, as they now, reference now. several times. <laughs> so, and he does so in the most opportune place at the most opportune time. Apparently yeah. a fairly public area where he can listen in on a, a somewhat secretive conversation that's happening above him. This is very Shakespearean. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, people uh, are coming in and out of the woods all the time here. What water breaks through yonder bladder? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he recognizes one member of this conversation, uh, where it's definitely Gormy, Lord Peak, and he doesn't really place the other one, but later deduces it was probably Tom Heddle. As they appear to have a somewhat ambiguous conversation that Dunk can only put a little bit together about, but there's a lot of references to apparently the Fiddler, a sword, a dad, not bringing the necessary support, bitter steel, a lot of various Blackfire uh, buzzwords that Dunk knows, but is both A, too ignorant, and B, way too drunk to process right now. Yeah, but they are they are some dragon whistles going on. They're, they're clearly... <laughs> dragon whistles well said uh they're clearly unhappy with some with some aspect of their plan going awry that they had an idea for this it is not going the way they wanted and they're kind of debating whether they need to bail but at least it seems they're in enough for right now dunk writes all of these words down in his head for later understanding and kind of goes back to the feast yeah uh, uh no actually he doesn't no uh, at which point does he go upstairs to have, to have john the fiddler that well, now? I was going to say, but yeah, I think so. Because we get the I dreamed of you, which. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. So, the, no. So, uh, this that conversation that we were just talking about actually happens before the betting. Yes. Um, because when Dunk goes back in after that, so right. he had left the hall because he had to pee, heard this we, conversation, well, went back in, and the betting is happening. Well, it also doesn't really make sense because he carries her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and then, and then has the conversation, well, and then well, the like, betting happens. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I think I think Sarah's got this right of where he's at the feast. He goes outside to pee during the middle of the feast. He comes back inside and is recruited to carry the girl. Right. Yeah. Brings the her upstairs. Is happening then. Mm-hmm. Br- brings her upstairs. Gets told off about the egg. Is going to go back downstairs only to realize that now Lord Butterbutt is being carried upstairs. And he doesn't want to have to deal with naked Butterbutt being carried upstairs in front of him. <laughs> so he decides to go up the stairs instead. Genius strategy by Dunk. And ends up at the top of the tower where yes. Yes. John the Fiddler happens to be waiting. And they have a talk. And he was in uh, The Fiddler's Dreams, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, and The Fiddler's Dreams always come true. And he's like, what sort of dream? <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure John the Fiddler is getting really... He's getting mixed signals from Dunk because that line could be... <laughs> All right. Okay, we're in. Let's talk. Um, so it's interesting because this is not the first time that somebody's um, had dreams full of Dunk. Uh, actually, actually well, oh, yeah, you're right. And this was this should have given Dunk a bit of a hint as to what this guy is because I think it was Dar- uh, it was uh, Egg's older brother. Yep. Damon? Darren? Darian? I think it was Darian. Um, You're not going to get a lot of help from me. I'm sorry. So <laughs> I, I can double check it here in a minute. But yeah, he had a dream that uh, Dunk would be there uh, with a dead dragon stretched across a field with Dunk in its arms. Mm-hmm. All right. And Dunk, again, is too drunk to process this right now. To know what these... Pro- the only prior experience he has with prophetic dreams is just giant warning lights of Targaryen, but... He doesn't put it together right now. Yeah. But this guy not only talks about his dreams of seeing Dunk in all white armor of the Kingsguard, he starts basically trying to offer Dunk whatever Dunk might want to come and join him. I mean, Rainbow Guard seems a little bit more appropriate, but reasonable <laughs> enough. Indeed. But he offers Dunk a member of the Kingsguard. He offers Dunk a lordship. He basically straight out states that he intends to be king. Mm-hmm. And Dunk just finds this to be a weird conversation and tries to just, you know, peace out. But the guy continues to proposition him in various ways to make this uh, a thing between the two of them. Until Doesn't... Peak shows up again. Yeah. Who <laughs> like, is... what is going... What? what? How do you keep showing up in the middle of this? this? Yeah. Uh, tells Dunk off, basically tries to get Dunk to stay the hell out of any further conversations all while John the Fiddler, who was also drunk off his ass, just kind of laughs the whole thing off and practically blows Dunk a kiss as he walks out of the room. <laughs> and based on our timing, I think that might be actually a reasonable enough point for us to stop. Yep. Yeah, right I think that's... Peaks. Yes. <laughs> right, right on Lord Peak's shoes. As John the Fiddler blows us a kiss and Dunk throws up on Lord Peak's shoes, I think we have a, we prepared our excellent exit. That's That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, uh, while we're preparing our notes for going through the second part of the mystery night, BJ, if people can't wait for us to get into that, where can they listen to more of our material in the meantime? Um, there is all of our content on Um We have uh, our podcast within a podcast, Pottering Around, where we are wending our way through the Chamber of Secrets. Um, there is also Mangum Talks TV, where Lee and Spencer... Uh, revel in the misdeeds of others and whiskey on the weekend where we drink whiskey and chat about all sorts of things and every so often we have probably a little bit less often than um, the um some other things we have mangum laughs where uh lee and i do reviews of stand-up 
Um, and you can find those on our website, mangumtalks.com, or iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have any comments, suggestions, or requests for stories or books that we do, um, click Contact Us in the upper right-hand corner, and we see all of those. All All right. Well, guys, I'm looking forward to talking more of the Mystery Night next week as we discuss further aspects of John the Viddler's dreams, including of dragons hatching at the White Walls, and see Dunk compete in a joust and determine to our shock whether he's gotten any better at what this key aspect of knighthood. Spoiler, no. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But until then, y'all, looking forward to it. (laughs) 